in that throne room of grace and well to feel your presence and know your forgiveness and experience your love. Also the opportunity to cast off the things that weigh us down and to lay them at your feet, to confess our sins and to be cleansed and to leave this space in a better place than we arrived. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. <coughs> Several years ago, a friend who has excellent seats at Colts games, David, uh, invited me to go watch a game with him, which is always a treat and a privilege. It's something I enjoy very much. And um, while we were together at the game, he had been given a special all-access pass that allowed us to go into the press conference after the game was over. It was a pretty exciting night to get to go down there. We'd get to meet some of the coaches and the players, and we were looking forward to that until we got down there and realized that we were going to be witness to the resignation and retirement of Colts quarterback Andrew Luck. And so our picture is now permanently tied to that. If you watch the Andrew Luck resignation, you'll see Dave and I walk right by the camera. It's, it's, it's infamous. <laughs> access is a thing. Sometimes it's pretty exciting to have access to uh, opportunities you might not think that you were going to have. It's, it's a neat thing to get access to things. And I want to talk to you today about the fact that we have been given this incredible, incredible gift uh, by God. We have been given access to God's throne room. And that's a remarkable, uh, remarkable thing to have access to God. Uh, prayer allows us to access uh, several things. Listen to these words that are spoken uh, by, G by, by Paul about Jesus in Ephesians 2.18. For through him, that is through Jesus, we have access to the Father by one spirit. It's through Christ we get this access to God. Uh, we have access to God, our Father in heaven, and we are empowered to go into that space uh, by the Holy Spirit. We read also from the Hebrew writer in Hebrews 4.16 that we should then approach the let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We are literally given access to the throne room of God. And this is the incredible thing. Your father wants to hear from you. Now, I have three pets in my house today. Only one of them exists in my house with my full knowledge that I wanted it to arrive and was happy that it came. Now, don't get me wrong, I consented to the arrival of the other two pets. Let me take you back many years ago to a ridiculous event that happened. I have been known to uh, do this thing when watching a, a basketball game or a football game. I'm not proud of it, but I have this ability to zone out my wife and kids and just watch the game. And some of you have the same ability, and so what happens is they'll say to me something, and I'll say, mm-hmm, yes, mm-hmm, whatever, and they know that that's going to happen. So my son really wanted to have a kitten, a kitty, and my wife also wanted us to have a kitten, which, you know, I knew that this would grow up to a cat that I would be miserable with, but nonetheless, that's why I always said no, 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 every time. So they got wise. The Colts were playing in a really big football game. I was very into the game, and they, they both, my wife and son together, talk about conniving. I mean, it's just terrible. And uh, my little boy's like, hey, dad, can we get a kitten? And of course, I was paying zero attention to them. 
And I think they wait until it's like a really important drive in the football game. Like they waited for the moment. They knew I had no attention on them at all. And of course, what did I say? Yeah, mm-hmm, whatever, that sounds good. And, and on I went, never thought about it again. Two days later, there's a cat in my house. <laughs> what in the world are you talking about? Well, you said yes. When did I say yes to a cat in the middle of a football game? Yeah, lesson learned, you'd think. Except they did it to me again. That's how I got a first dog. I tell you, God and I are going to have to talk about someday the, the power of wives and children. Well, I want you to know something. God is not an inattentive God. Unlike me, when my focus is on one thing and hard to focus on something else, that's not how God functions. God is an attentive God. And he is constantly watching over us, listening to us, and he has the capacity to actually hear. God doesn't just say, uh-huh, yeah, whatever. Uh, that's not how God responds to us. He's an attentive God. And in fact, he wants, he wants to talk with us. Uh, he wants to hear from you. I know that some of you have experienced this already, and if you haven't experienced, you probably have seen someone else experiencing, and it's this. As people get older, when your children have grown up and left home, you really long to see them. And, and when they happen to come by the house or they call, it's a big deal. You're really glad to see them. And one of the saddest things that happens, right, is, is that, I mean, I've been meeting lots of people, right, who it's just life is busy and their kids don't talk to them much, and, and they're lonely, they really, they would just love a phone call. They would just love a chance to talk to their kids. And when they get the chance, boy, it just makes everything better. Well, the same thing is what happens with God. Do you know that he, he's like that? He longs to talk to you. He longs to hear from you. He, he's anxious for you to call him. I mean, he is always there, and he is always hoping you'll talk to him today. He wants it. He enjoys it. It's important because you matter to God. I mean, you are, some families, you talk about having a favorite son or favorite daughter, although I'm sure that's not true. <clears throat> but anyway, that happens in families. But, but I want you to get this. You are God's favorite in a sense. He dedicates time specifically to you. In fact, he's watching you even when you're not watching him. He's looking out, looking ahead. He wants to hear from you, and you matter to him. In fact, Paul talks about how intimate our relationship with God is supposed to be. He describes it in Romans chapter 8, verse 15. He says, the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. Now, I don't know if you get where that word Abba comes from. Jesus prayed that on the cross. He uses those words, Abba, Father. But do you know what that, that is? A, that is a word that is just a representation of the phonics that babies make when they're talking and learning to talk. You've heard these sounds, right? Babies start off with, well, at my house, they start off with ba, 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 which my wife always thought meant bottle. I said it meant basketball. But either way, it works in my household. And then, of course, if you ask me, their next first word was da 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 da. She'll say it was ma 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 ma. Whatever the truth may have been, that's harder to figure out. You get the idea. That's baby talk. Well, if your child was raised 
somewhere else where uh, there were different, a different language, especially in Judaism, a baby's first words likely would have been, ah, ba, 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 ba. Those are syllables, those are phonetic sounds that can be made. And that is where this word Abba comes from. It's baby talk for, for father. That's what it is. Paul uses that word because it's an intimate word. It's like a person who says, Daddy. It's, it, 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 it's familiar. Several years ago, Max Licato wrote a book, and in his book he talked about going shopping for a new desk. Now, Max needed a new desk. He, at that point in time, was a, a pastor of a very grow, large and growing church in Texas, and he was kind of excited to get himself a, a desk, a really nice desk, and his little girl wanted to go shopping with him, and he wanted to make some time for his daughter, so he took his daughter shopping with him for a new desk. Well, as they got to the furniture store, right there by the front door was a little wooden desk, unpainted, unfinished, just sitting there. And as soon as his daughter walked in, and she was just a little girl, six or seven years old, and she walked over to the desk, and she said, oh, daddy, this desk would be perfect for me. I could play school at this desk. I could play teacher at this desk. This desk would be perfect for me. And of course, Max, like a good dad, is like, well, yeah, I could see that, honey. And he kind of went on shopping as if to say, we'll just try to pretend that that didn't happen so I don't spend any money on a little desk. He was looking at other desks, and pretty soon, his little girl came up and she said, Daddy, I really like that desk. He said, I know you, I know you did. She said, Daddy has two drawers, one on each side, and I could put my pens and pencils and one of my paper in the other. And he said, well, honey, he said, that desk is going to be a lot of work. Look, it's not been painted yet. It'd have to be painted. It'd have to be fixed up. He said, I, I think we can't, we're not going to get that desk today because that would be a lot of work. And he went on looking for his own desk. He was kind of getting excited with those things. And so his daughter went back over and he saw her standing by the desk. And she came back again and she said, Daddy, you know what? I know there's some blue paint in the garage. We could paint that desk together, Daddy. Me and you could paint the desk together. Well, what parent doesn't like the thought of spending time with their kid like that? Max thought, well, that's nice. He said, yeah, we could do that, honey. We could do that, but Daddy needs to get a desk today. And so uh, he saw that she was just really down. And so he said, well, maybe... Maybe we could come back some other time. He said, I don't think we have room for that desk in the car today. But when we have room, maybe we can bring the truck back and we'll bring it home another day. But I don't think we can get that today. And so he went back and he saw his little girl walk away. Boy, her head was down. You know, she had been defeated in all these arguments. Then he saw her standing by the glass at the front of the store, right next to the little desk. But she wasn't looking at the desk. She was looking out at his car. And she was going like this. And she came back and she said, Daddy, you know what? I think that desk would fit right in the trunk of our car. At which point Max Licato completely gave up trying to buy a desk for himself. And he said, you know what, honey? Let's buy a desk. Now, why did he do that? Max said there was one word she said over and over and over that kept touching his heart. Daddy. Let's do it together, Daddy. Let's build it together, Daddy. Let's carry it together, Daddy. 
It's that idea of intimacy, of connection that matters. Well, that's our Heavenly Father. <laughs> when you call out to Him and you say, Daddy, I need your help with this, He, he wants to help you. There are a couple of different stories, the story of the midnight bread, the neighbor who keeps asking for bread and finally gets it in the end. It's the idea that God is a God who sometimes says, because he knows how to give good gifts to his children, and he loves you. And there are times God just says, you know, all right, let's get this thing done. Let's take the desk home today, so to speak. It's a tremendous gift that you've been given. And all access pass to the throne room of God. And you have a promise that when you ask, you are always heard. Listen to these words, this from 1 John. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Talk about a lifelong chance of a lifetime. You have access to the creator of the world, the one who forms the mountains and scoops out the oceans. You have access to him 24-7, 365, constantly, at any moment. Middle of the night, you've got a problem that's keeping you awake, you can talk to him. Someone runs into you on the street in your car, and you got a big ding there, and, the, and you're nervous, and you're scared. He's there, faster than AAA or the police. He gets there right away. You have access. Whatever situation, your greatest success, <laughs> you have access. He's right there with you. And whether you praise him for it or not, he still receives glory when he sees his children succeed. Your worst moment, you have access. You have a child who's sick and you feel powerless. You have access to the great physician. You've really messed up. You don't know how you're going to make it right. You have access to the one who can make all things new. You have a lifelong chance of a lifetime. Jesus spoke about this and he reminded his disciples in Mark chapter 11, have faith in God. Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go and throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart but believes what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you've received it and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so your Father in heaven will also forgive you. The promise there isn't that I can have whatever I want. That's not what Jesus' point was. But Jesus' point was that even when you face things that seem impossible, if you ask God for his help, know that God can do the impossible. You can't move a mountain, but God can. This was his point. You can't give him a problem that's bigger than he is. It might be bigger than you or me, but it won't be bigger than him. And Jesus knew that. When the challenge is greater than we are, prayer more than makes up the difference. You see, prayer accesses the power to change our lives and to change the lives of others. So when we pray, we pray as if our future depends on it because, quite frankly, it does. And when we pray, we find comfort, conviction, and consolation. 
Indeed, James, the brother of Jesus, said in James 5.13, if any of you is in trouble, then you should pray. Paul would write to the Thessalonians in chapter 5, verse 17, pray without ceasing. Well, there's a text that I really like, and I've referenced it a few times in the past year, so I just want to read it in its entirety today, these last few minutes of the message. It's a story about God accomplishing the impossible in a real-world situation. Sometimes we forget that the characters of the Bible lived in the real world, just like you and me. (laughs) They had the same kinds of struggles. Their breath didn't smell so great in the morning. Their hair was messy when they woke up. Uh, They had problems with their kids and their mother-in-law. Sorry, my mother-in-law's not here yet. Okay, great. They had challenges with all those things, too. They lived in a real world. They had to come up with money to pay bills unexpectedly. They had all those same things that you face. And sometimes they didn't like what was happening in the political powers around them. They didn't always like the way things were going in the local government. That was especially true for the Christians in the first century that we read about in the book of Acts. It's in the book of Acts that we read this story about the early church. And it was a story about something that seemed like it was impossible and it was really bad and it was happening at the hands of the local leaders. And what could they do about it? They weren't rich, and they weren't powerful people, and they had no influence over their government officials. And it wasn't a democracy. They didn't even get to vote. It was very different. And this was the circumstance they were facing in Acts 12. You know this name. He has been around for a while and was involved in the story of trying to hunt down Jesus. He's been involved in some other things, King Herod. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. And when he saw that this met with approval among the Jews, and it really, we should really understand that word to mean the Jewish leadership, not the Jewish people. These were Jews being killed by Jews. When he saw that it pleased the people, he proceeded to seize Peter also. So he's already killed one of the apostles, and now he's going to go after another. And this time it's Peter, the evangelist that so boldly preached at the Pentecost sermon. So here's what happens. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. Think we're getting close to the Passover. It's probably just been a year or at most two since Jesus himself was the one that was arrested during Passover. Peter had been afraid of that. You remember, right? He was afraid of being arrested, so he had said, I don't know who he is, three times. Here we are now in the same season of the year, just a year or two later, and we find Peter in the same circumstance. This time he's taken into this jail. It says it happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and after arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. And Herod intended to bring him out for a public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison. This was a real deal. Sixteen guards 
are watching him. Chains are on his hands and feet. He is in a real jail. I mean, he's down there in the local lockup, and it doesn't look good for him. The last apostle that was in that same predicament got beheaded. And here he is. And what can these Christians do about what's happening? Well, it tells us what they did. It says the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Earnestly praying. It was on their hearts. Lord, this is a big deal. They're just going to try to kill off all the leaders of the church. What are we going to do, God? We, we can't stop them. I can't go down there. We can't bring up a, a mob and go down and try to storm the jail and free them. This is impossible. And they already killed one. Now they're going to kill Peter too. I know some of you have faced situations that feel impossible. It feels like there's no way God could fix the situation that you're in. If you feel that, then you feel the same way they felt that night. Now, the night before, Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping. Now, this is really remarkable. This is the same guy who had once lied three times to avoid being brought to trial and standing in the very places where he was, but now he's able to sleep. Why? Because your prayers can bring peace to people in times of trouble. The church's earnest prayers help to bring peace to Peter in the middle of a, of a crisis. I want you to think about that for a moment. I mean, think about who in your world needs peace right now. Who in your world is in trouble that you need to be praying for and asking God to bring them the peace to sleep at night and to get through the circumstances that they're facing. The prayers of the church are what enabled Peter to be at peace, to not be afraid, to be able to sleep. I have a feeling that if I was about to stand trial the next day and my life was on the line, I'm not sure I'd sleep too much. But if the people were praying and God's peace was resting on me, maybe I could. Peter did. The night before the trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains. Sentries stood guard at the entrance. Impossible. <laughs> if he moves, he wakes them up. There's no escape. There's no way out. Or is there? Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. The angel struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said. And the chains just fell off of Peter's wrist. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes, put on your sandals. And Peter did so. The angel went on, wrap your cloak around you and, and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. Oh, this is a great dream, he thought. <laughs> I mean, he was fast asleep and he thought, this is a fantastic dream. Wow, this is great. 
They passed the first and the second guards, and they came to the iron gate leading to the city, and I like what it says there. It just opened for them by itself, and they went through it. And then they walked the length of one street, and suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself, which had to be this, whoa, this is real. This really just happened. That, did that just happen? That just happened. Oh, my goodness. And he said, now I know without a doubt. The Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything that those Jewish leaders were hoping would happen. And let me just say this. Peter is long remembered for his lack of faith and loyalty in the garden. Had he been able to stand up in that moment and been a faithful witness, I believe that God would have done for him then the same thing he does for him now. And this is the best part. Even though he had once failed, even though he had once done all those wrong things, God had never given up on his child. He never gives up on you. His past failures didn't intervene God's future help. But sometimes we think that way. We think, well, God's not going to hear my prayers because, well, I really did this thing or that thing. And Hear me. Your past failures don't stop God's ability to work in the presence. It didn't stop him from helping Peter, and it won't help him, stop him from helping you. Peter is blown away. There he is in the middle of the street. He, 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 he sees that God has protected him. Now in verse 12 it says, When this had dawned on him, he immediately then went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and they were praying. It was the night before his trial. The church had gotten together and the Christians were praying earnestly, it said, earnestly for Peter. He had been sleeping, but they were still praying. And here it is in the middle of the night, and they are still praying. You know, I got to tell you, it's not about the length of our prayers always that makes a difference, but when I first came to Ogilville 25 years ago, and I went to my first elders meeting, and our elders, they like the prayer list you have, they, they pray over every circumstance. They pray over all those things, and those men prayed for over two hours, and here I was, a young 30-something, and I thought, I don't have the stamina to do this. I can't pray for two hours. My goodness, I had never prayed that long in my life. I thought, why are they praying so much? And well, that made all the difference. And look over the story of the last 25 years, and you'll know that made all the difference. It wasn't vain repetition. It was just earnest praying. The same kind of praying that these Christians were doing for Peter. Earnest prayers. It says they were all praying, so Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was overjoyed, and she ran back without opening the door, and she exclaimed, Peter is at the door. And like good Christians who had been praying earnestly that God would take care of Peter, they said to Rhoda, you're out of your mind. Real world, you're crazy. What's wrong with you? Why did you interrupt our prayer to tell us this has happened? <laughs> You're out of your mind. When she kept insisting it was so, then they reasoned together, well, it must be his angel. 
Boy, again, these great Christians who were praying, and I, I say that not so facetiously as you might think. They've reasoned that, well, it was too much to ask that God could have freed him. He's been killed. They've just went ahead and killed him in the night. Now his angels come. So they said it must be his angel. But the beautiful part of the story, but Peter still kept on knocking. <laughs> and when they opened the door and they saw him, they were astonished. Whoa, wait a minute. You mean God really is going to answer those prayers we pray? I mean, we thought that was impossible. Because it was, by all earthly human means, it seemed impossible. But friends, with God, nothing is impossible. And prayer unleashes and accomplishes impossible things. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet. He described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. And he said, tell James, that is James, the brother of Jesus, and the other brothers and sisters about this. And then he left them for another place. He didn't tell them where he was going. Maybe when you first get escaped from jail, you don't tell everyone where you're going. I don't know. Peter didn't tell them where he was going next. Now, usually that's where we stop reading. But because we're talking about prayer, and you're a captive audience, we're going to go just a little bit farther. It says this. In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. After Herod made a thorough search and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards, 16 guards. You had one job. 16 of you had one job. How'd this guy get out of there? And sadly for them, he ordered their execution. Then Herod went from Judea to Caesarea, and he stayed there. Herod had been quarreling with the people of Tyre and Sidon, but they now joined together and sought an audience with him. After securing the support of another powerful person, Blastus, a trusted person, personal servant of the king, they asked for peace because they depended on the king's country for their food supply. And on that appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robe, sat on his throne. He delivered a public address to the people, and they shouted out to him, This is the voice of a god, not a man. And immediately... Because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down. He was eaten by worms, and he died. But the word of God continued to spread and to flourish. Let's just have a quick review before the end. The church was praying. Now, Peter is free. The church moves from fear to faith. Herod has died, and the gospel is spreading. Prayer works. God and the power of God are unleashed when we pray. We face some really uncertain times in the world. <laughs> Each week brings more news that's more concerning. But we have the power, brothers and sisters. We have the power of prayer. And maybe the best way to win in this present moment isn't just with bullets and bombs and tanks and planes. I think the prayers of the people accomplish much. We need to be praying. 
Some of you have family members or even yourself who battle addictions that seem impossible to break free of. It's like you're chained to 16 guards that hold you in your addiction. Prayer is what shakes loose the chains and sets us free. Others here face challenges in your relationships that seem like it's impossible. <laughs> and it might be humanly impossible. There are problems that only God can fix. But God is living. God is still active. The same God who freed Peter still frees us. His promises, I'll never leave you. I won't abandon you. Lo, I'll be with you to the very end of the age. In fact, Jesus said, ask. Ask. Your father knows how to give good gifts to his children. So ask. Maybe this next moment here is when we just need to pause and have that conversation with our dad about our trouble. Daddy, let's pray. Father in heaven, we come before you with no disrespect when we cry out as Jesus did, Abba, Father, when we cry out, Daddy. We come asking as your children for your help in our lives and in our world. We know that you hear our prayers, that you are attentive and you're listening. So hear the prayers that we have just been lifting up together. Father, we are people of faith and we believe, we believe in this church, we believe nothing is impossible for God. We believe that you are still living and active and more powerful than any other force in the world. We believe that the earth itself bends to your will, the disease bends to your will, that nothing can stand against you, no weapon, no sickness, no problem is greater than you are. And we acknowledge that apart from you, God, we can do nothing, but we also acknowledge that with your strength, with your help, with your power, anything is possible. So we pray today. Oh, Lord, hear our prayers. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It may be that you're in this space today and that you have never made Jesus Christ your personal Lord and Savior. I want to encourage you to make that decision if you've not done that as we stand and as we sing our hymn of invitation. <laughs>